Hi, I'm Dr. Steve Elias, and welcome to The Vein Podcast. Respect the elders, embrace the new, and encourage the improbable and impractical without bias. Well, as we said, money, money talks. And it's, it's a scary thing. Um, I was talking to one of the uh, people who just, a younger person who went to work for one of the, the, the you know, vein center kind of. Right. And they were out like for six months and they were so proud to say, oh, I've, I've done about 600 ablations already. And like you, I said, 600 ablations, Jesus. In six months, I'm with a, you know, something wrong here. It's hard to find that many people to do ablations on. So as you said, this person too, volume speaks, money speaks, and I don't know how we get to it, but if we can stop paying people to do the wrong thing, people will stop doing the wrong thing. But it's a it's just a huge issue. And as you just looked at me in the beginning of this segment, you said you don't know have an answer. I, I don't think anyone has an answer. And, no. and I don't know what it's going to take. And the problem is it may take the payers or government telling us It'll swing in the opposite direction. What you cannot do and what we will not pay for because we can't control it, so we're just going to stop paying for it. I, I do have one possible solution, and that is educating patients in the nature and righteous requirements for treatment in vascular disease. The public, and, and I've written about this recently, uh, talking about promoting the identity of vascular surgeons, how to promote our identity. We're really an unrecognized, unappreciated specialty. Why? Because we're subordinate for one thing, mm -hmm. which is controversial even now. But I think educating the public, and the public, they go online, they read, educating them that not every varicose vein needs to be treated. Not every pain on walking, claudication, needs to be treated. Uh, that some conditions are benign. Not every asymptomatic carotid needs to be intervened upon. So I think if you educate the public, maybe they will seek out um, specialists that um, are more ethical and aren't of a nature to, to do a procedure on everybody they see. And, and the ultimate with these two patients I told you about one seen by a radiologist, one by a vascular surgeon, and the actual physical findings were falsified, as well as the duplex findings. And so when I said to the patient, you don't need any procedure, you've got nothing. Right. And your, your saphenous vein is not enlarged and does not have reflux. And she said, well, what am I going to do? I said, I don't know what you're going to do. Report it to the state. Nothing happened. Well, so the guy continues to practice in this way, and, and, you know, obviously has three mansions in Long Island and and, and, and these poor suspecting patients. And, and I think... And they don't get hurt much by having their normal vein ablated. Of course they're not going to get hurt much. And that's, that is the, the problem. If there were dire, you know, consequences, if you did something wrong, people wouldn't just be like, you know, just, just doing it just, just to do it. Um, I think the patient education segment is is a is a good thing but, but our societies are i mean one of my points in this article 
which I'm writing with Jim Stanley, may or may not get published in the JVS because it's politically, I think, over the top or in some ways, or, or not, it, it, its idea is not consensual with every vascular surgeon. Not but then again, region, many but, of your ideas have not been No, consensual. of course. But, but one of the points I make is the SVS is talking about educating referring doctors. I think that's important because most of them don't know beans about vascular disease, but it's more important to educate the public as to what we do, what we should be doing, what we can do, and what we shouldn't be doing. Because the public, an educated public, just like an educated public is the answer to corruption in, in uh, our government, an educated public is perhaps an answer to having all these procedures. You've got a blockage in your carotid. It should be fixed. And the patient said, oh God, I've got a blockage in my carotid. It should be fixed. Well, in many instances, it shouldn't be fixed. Right. And I think we have an opportunity here. And I think as the population ages and those people who are younger are, become older, is a greater percentage of people in the population that is very comfortable with information gathering online and stuff. And I think we have an opportunity now to jump into this early rather than, you know, waiting until we kind of miss the boat. Because you know the data, more than 50% of the people, if they're going to go see Frank Veith or Steve Elias as a doctor, at least half the people have already Googled, Googled us, see what we're doing, see where our specialties are, you know, what reviews, et cetera, et cetera. So we, like you say, we should take that, be that to an advantage, have good places where patients can go to get information. Information. But my plea in this article, although we, we cut it down, it was in a chapter that it was more, was the details were filled out. My plea in this article is that the SVS and other vascular societies that are supposed to represent us as vascular surgeons should make a, ba a major PR effort to the public. It's going to cost millions of dollars. We should pay for it. Why? Because vascular surgeons are totally unrecognized as experts, unappreciated, and the public needs to know. How are you going to tell them? You pay millions of dollars, which we should contribute, to have a PR campaign which tells the public what a vascular surgeon is, how they're trained, what they do, how the disease should be treated, how it shouldn't be treated, et cetera. The vascular societies have a lot of money in their treasury. Yeah. This should be one of their prime um, objectives. It's, I don't believe that it is. No, it's, it probably is not, but it would be a great investment in the future of vascular surgery. Especially. Right, to, to educate the public. And, I, and we do need to keep that in mind regarding the power of the internet in educating the public because it's, uh, it's relatively easy to do and if society's put in the money. I jokingly said, look at the my pillow guy. Right. Okay, <laughs> everybody knows who he is. The value of advertising, it works. Yeah. And we need to make it known to the public what it is that vascular surgeons do. If I go to a cocktail party and um, people ask me what, what I do or what I did, I'd say I'm a vascular surgeon. They say, oh, you're a heart doctor Egg, right. or you That's operate on say. varicose veins. I said, yes, I do operate on varicose veins, but I do many other things 
that are also substantively improving the quality of life. And, and nobody knows that. And as a result, one of the reasons from now I'm, I'm putting on another hat that we, uh, are, we can lose our patients to other specialists is because nobody realizes what vascular surgeons do, that we're the doctors that take care of all sorts of vascular disease in terms of uh, conservative treatment, indications for operation, interventional treatment, open surgery when needed. And um, nobody knows that. Yeah, we need a good PR person. That's what we well, need. And we need to spend money, of course, as a society. I mean, they, the, our society is raising money for the PAC, you know, the yeah. Public Action, Action Committee. Committee. Right. And I think we should contribute to that. But far more important that we contribute money as a specialty to informing the public what we unappreciated, you know, guys in, in caring for vascular disease do. Yep. And we, we haven't done that. Okay, Frank, I want to I want to push you a little bit on something regarding um, education and regarding your meeting. And uh, first of all, I, want, I preface this by saying, I'm glad you asked me to be at the meeting. I enjoy being at the meeting and interacting and stuff. And we already alluded to the that a lot of faculty wanted to come, and so you kind of shortened the talks and you had gotten your ideas from Henry Kissinger and stuff. Let me run this by you. Have you thought about going just for one or two little times in the opposite direction? Meaning, not always having a five minute or seven minute talk, but instead, what, what at, at, at some other meetings that, that I, I have run, I call the next big thing, so to speak. And set aside time that, hey, we want everybody to come and hear this next big thing. And, if 15 minutes to it or 20 minutes to it. Um, you don't have to agree with me or not, but it, it, would, would it be like you say each day, this is what I want people to hear. I'm, I'm like, not much is going to be happening for these X number of minutes because I want everybody, this, this is a huge topic in, in vascular and, and, and vein procedures and disease. But have you thought about this ever? Sure, I, I have. I mean, and, and so many people advise me, make your talks eight minutes, uh, make your talks 10 minutes, have somebody, the only talks that I give a lot of time to are the military talks, because I believe that the uh, medical military deserves to be supported. Um, I've, I've been connected with them. I, I think that, you know, supporting our military is is vital yes so i do give more time to that uh but the the uh to the talks in that session but the 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 problem is as soon as you increase the time for one or two talks you cut down on the number of speakers and uh, there's tremendous pressure on us both from industry and from the speakers to include everybody and everything. And so the idea, I mean, just yesterday, I got 24 talks from Terumo that they want to put on. I mean, come on, are they out of their mind? I can't put 24. If I put 24 talks for every major 
industry supporter yeah, be a two week meeting. It would be a th yeah three week meeting. So the the reality is we have just so much time and so much space. And the other thing is everybody wants to talk from ten to twelve on a Tuesday or Wednesday. The reality is we do the best we can, and um, it's more important to get it out there. And if something I think may be important, like Perotti and this water drinking thing that will cure arteriosclerosis, I think that's important. But I'll just let him have his five minutes or five and a half minutes, whatever, get the message out, and then other uh, vehicles will have to take over and and pass the the right. details so, along. So that's where you see. So you. you so see I, I'm it. for it, right. but, but you can't I do don't it. see how I can do it. And every year I say we're going to have fewer speakers. Why? Because uh, there's some redundancy. Number one. Number two. Uh, it costs a lot to pay for the speakers. Yeah. We pay airfare and hotel. No, you're very generous. Extremely well, generous. but other meetings don't pay anything. I know. Uh, and. Um, so if we had fewer speakers, we would be closer to breaking even or making some money and paying our staff. If we have more speakers, we get closer to break even. And, and yet every year at the end, stuff comes in and I'm struggling to find a spot for stuff. So the, the making up of the program is, is, is clearly a challenge. And I agree with you, a five minute talk is, Nothing. And yet, you go back and watch the television <clears throat> anchors. They have some prestigious guy on. He talks for two minutes. He's done. No, I, I understand your concept. And, and as I'm listening to you now, because it's kind of uh, the opposite of the way, uh, you know, I run a few meetings. He's nothing <laughs> doesn't equal anything that you do. But my I, my feelings are, are the opposite of yours, and it's good to have opposite uh, viewpoints. But now I, I think I understand a little better. You're, you envision your meeting as a way of letting people get all the information to see what's out there. And if they want more information about that particular topic they heard, they then they go and get it, it some other, other way. We either talk to the guy when he's there, right. or maybe industry, if it's an industry-related talk, We'll have a session where they have 10 minute talks or panels or whatever. But the, the, idea, the other thing is our talks are indexed. So if you want something new, you put it on and, and it's a literature citation. It was as presented at our, our meeting. And, and VEATH is not, has nothing to do with my name, it's an acronym. Oh, no, nothing to do with your name. Come on, you Frank. asked about that before, it was not my idea. It was one of my associates' ideas, which I was against, because it would elicit hostility, jealousy, whatever. Yeah. So I, I vetoed it. But the reason we did it was to get the meeting away from the institution, Montefiore, which right. had ownership because I was a full-time employee. And, and that was the reason we changed the name. No, it's okay. You, I, you, I understand you seem to be relatively humble kind of person in, in, in general. And I know you don't want a meeting necessarily named after yourself, so to speak. Uh, but whether you like it or not, it's associated with you. you well, know it's that. not a coincidence. <laughs> no, <but>. well, okay. <laughs> um, wh where, 
if you had to change anything or where, because you're always thinking ahead, um, if you had like complete control, which you kind of probably do in general, and you could magically make things a, a little different, what would be one change or two changes you might do to your meeting? What I'd like to do is have interventional cardiologists and more interventional radiologists come to the meeting as attendees, not as faculty, because they come when I invite them and we pay for them, but we would like more cardiologists to come. Why? Because we think that our, and as a matter of fact, TCT, when they solicit our relationship, felt that we did a as good a job or even a better job than they were able to do in educating about non-cardiac vascular disease. And so I would like more cardiologists to come. Uh, they view us as a cardiologist, as a vascular surgery meeting, and we're really not. No, I don't think so. Uh, and, and so if we could get 500 interventional cardiologists, that would increase our attendance it would increase the financial support we had to make our meeting better, taking people to plays and stuff like that uh, for the faculty. Um, and that would be a major change because so far it hasn't worked uh, and, and we want it to work. Uh, otherwise, I, I think making our meeting um, a little smaller in terms of talks, would be better. But then the problem comes, you have to dissatisfy industry and faculty because they all wanna to come to New York and present what they have that's new. So that's a, a constant course, source of tension. But the, the criticism of our meeting is it's somewhat redundant and you can't hear everything. The other thing that I would like to see happen is the content of our meeting be made available I guess for sale at a very nominal price because there are 30,000 vascular specialists in the world and only four or 5,000 come to our meeting. So we would like the content to be made available more widely. And we've tried to do that in a number of ways that it hasn't worked. I, I just as an aside for that, uh, you know, we've thought about this, but either from a society viewpoint or a meeting viewpoint, in general, people don't want to pay for that for some reason. I don't know why, but, but they seem not to want to. The problem is it costs money to do it. Yeah. And uh, we pay, I guess, up to $80,000 a year to record the whole meeting, both the audio and the, and the visual. The slides are easy. The slides, they can have them because they're posted on our webpage, yeah. free. Yeah. Uh, but the actual audio and the slides, and the panel discussions, brief though they may be, we think has value. And, and what we're trying to do is package them as what's new with pulmonary embolus, which is a great session put on by Mike Jeff. I don't organize it. That is the state of the art in, in pulmonary embolus. Yeah. Spinal cord ischemia, that session was, was great. So we could package that and if we sold it for $25, I mean, that's a cup of coffee at the Hilton. <laughs> and and uh, just so we make a little bit of the money back to defer the cost. And we give it 
to our uh, attendees for $75. And we get a fair number. You do? Yeah, of those. But as far as selling the whole meeting, nobody ever wants to buy that. It's too, it's too cumbersome. It's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's 750 talks. 750 talks and hours upon hours. Who has that kind of time? That's but really if you put it in a concise package, which our sessions do, um, AV access, that, that it's manageable. It's bite-sized. Yeah. yeah, AV access is manageable. No, I, I, I think there needs to be a way to get the information out because everybody can't make it to the meeting. People want that information. Um, that's one thing for the future. The other thing for the future, you know, where, where are you going? You're not going anywhere, but but, no, but sooner I mean, or later. No, no, it's a consideration, yeah. and um, it's a real consideration. And and to be honest with you, making up the the me, the main meeting, as, as you know, the Venus program is made up by Lowell Kabnick and Jose Almeida, and I invited you to talk to them if you want to be part of that. I'd love to be part of it. Talk yeah. to them. I will talk uh, to and them. Rather than me suggest it, you suggest it. And I'll, I'll you'll confirm back me, it. You'll back Absolutely, me up. Absolutely, 100%. Right, as long as I got your backing. Uh, because I don't know enough about venous disease. When I see, I used to, when I see a venous article or something in, in uh, Medscape, I skip it because that's I can't master everything. Um, and uh, so I, I think that I want to get more people involved. But I, as far as making up the components, the arterial and medical components, they're, they're sort of interwoven. And if I can't get a good talk in one session, I can somehow get it in another one. And, and so I'm trying to get one individual, and, and this is not yet uh, fully decided, who, who knows the way I make up the program, because it's, it's, a, it's a complicated... Oh, I'm sure. Uh, intellectual uh, process. I'm trying to get him involved in, in seeing how it's done. So if something happens to me, um, they, he can take over. And, and uh, yeah, but you, you need somebody with need your, one, person. one person with your vision. Well, and with, with time, right. it's, it's not an intellectually um, unique process. It's a time requiring process because the, the topics, are out there, I get access to them in one way or another. Either I hear them, see them, or read them, or somebody sends them to me. And then they've got to be refined, re-refined, and ultimately put into session packages which are attractive to audiences. They want to come and listen to it. And so that process, which I'm currently involved in, is very labor-intensive. Um, unpleasant in some ways because it means sitting down and doing it and and I want somebody who at least has that knowledge who can then modify it make it better maybe more computer um, yeah involved I, mean, I, I think we right you we always all need to identify you know who's who's going to be the next Frank Veith or who's going to be well, the, in terms it, of you know, yes, right, right now Enrico Asher is the next chairman of the meeting that's been out there for a long time. And Ken Oriel, the secondary one. And uh, the, the issue is that both Ken, who runs Syntactics, 
and Enrico have major full-time jobs. Right, they're busy. And this, the making up of our meeting, which I used to do on a couple of weekends originally back in the 80s, uh, is now it's a full-time job. It's got to be. It's two full-time jobs. And as a matter of fact, we were going to go for three days to Florida to get some sunshine and stuff. And we decided we, I don't have the time to do that. So I think that I definitely want somebody who, who can uh, take my place doing it and then maybe do it better. I mean, it's not magic. It's just, it's a process. Yeah. Okay, so now let's uh, kind of like semi wrap wrap up here. What the feeling that you get at the end, and you can be a little, uh, you know, not self promoting, but 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 talk a little bit about yourself. The meeting that you get when it's like you know Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, your meeting is winding down or whatever. People are beginning to leave and stuff. You like step back and say to yourself, "Hey, this was a good one." This wasn't a good one, or are you just saying, well, I'm just thinking about next year? Uh, first of all, I, we definitely evaluate whether the meeting was good in terms of- I, I, No, I'm not talking about we, Frank. I'm talking about you. I want no, you, no, no, we do your, it as a group. In your gut. No, no, we do it as a group. I understand. Uh, at and, some point, and, you're sitting by yourself. Well- Do you uh, ever say to yourself, hey, that was a really good no, one this year? No, what I start saying as the meeting is ending, I say, God, this was pretty good. I'm so very worried about next year. And and I might go home because we get very little sleep during the meeting. Yeah, you're up uh, early. Up early and so forth. But the the I start worrying about the next year. And my my mantra is that you win the Super Bowl one year, you gotta win it the next year. Every year is a new venture, and there's no guarantee that just because it was pretty good in 2019, that it'll be good in 2020. So I, and I get one good night's sleep and then I start thinking about uh, the following year. And uh, so really there, there's no uh, great satisfaction from one good year. If we make a little money and don't, you know, and can reward the people that are working with us, that's a good thing. So we worry about the money a lot and we don't know about the financial um, aspect of it until it's over. And, and so it's money. not as if you're, you know, financially, it's not like you're making an enormous amount of money, you're losing it. You're, you're looking to hope to relatively break even, help the people. I, I'm, I'm looking to do more than break even. Of course you are. But if we don't, if we lose money, we're done. Yeah. Um, and, and we have some changes that are coming up in a couple of years where we're going to take more risk. Um, and, and so that it, it's, it's, it is a concern because it's like any small business. You don't know if it's going to be successful until the end of the year. Yeah. No. no and, and I mean, and, and it can be have catastrophes. We could have a one year we had a, uh, remember the American Airlines. They thought it was a terrorist plane was downed in in um, Brooklyn or someplace Queens, and and no Europeans came. And wow. at that point, Montefiore owned the meeting, and they were taking a lot of the financial responsibility. We still did better than break even, but it was a big worry because we went down. And the Europeans didn't come. All right, lastly, 
What is the, uh, what would you say, I'll, I'll ask you from both the, the arterial and vein side of things. What is the, the biggest issue involving patient care from the artery side? What is it that we have not solved yet? What disease or, or type of problem have we not solved yet that we, we just got to do this because, you know. I, I, I honestly believe that the next big advances will come in non-interventional treatment, medical treatment which I think is the right way to go. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, what's happened with the statins, with the PCSK9 inhibitors, um, awesome. Yeah. And, and I think that basically threatens the vascular surgeons and, and proceduralists because their procedures won't be necessary. And if Perotti's right, all you gotta do is drink a lot of water and you don't need to do any interventions. Okay, uh, I hope he's not right because disease. that's too easy. <laughs> It's not easy. I tried it, and you end up going to the bathroom <laughs> continuously. So uh, I think that's and, and aneurysms. I think we'll ultimately be able to uh, slow the development of aneurysms and so forth. Um, so I think medical treatment is a huge area oh, for oh, arterial and on the vein side as well. Or no, veins are different. What do you think? Uh, I think veins. I think probably better and simpler interventions. Uh, and, and I think, you know, I've always been wrong about varicose veins. I used to say nobody ever dies from varicose veins. And you got all these big veins and who cares? Wear long pants. Right. But I think in our modern world where beauty is cosmetic, stuff is important, I think those ladies deserve to be treated. And, and they'll be less invasive um, safer, simpler ways to do it, and I'm all for it. I mean, yeah. my wife is constantly saying, look at my veins. She doesn't have any veins. But in her mind, she has some veins. She doesn't in, like, in her right? mind, she might have some veins. And, and I think better treatment for edema and venous ulcers. I mean, there's a company that I worked a little bit with as air um, inflatable right, to help pressure and, and I think rather than putting on a jellicast boot and taking it off and cutting it off and all, I think there'll be better, simpler ways of managing uh, venous disease with these new, better systems. Yeah, I mean, I, and it's exactly kind of what I, I think in, in the vein world, it is both extremes that we need to get better at. One extreme, the end stage disease, like you said, Ulcers, things ulcers. like that. We got to get better with that because it's a huge burden on the patient and and society. And we haven't done that good of a job in decreasing the the, the recurrence of ulcers or or healing ulcers that well. And then on the opposite direction, when you think about it, what you were doing and what I was doing after you to treat cosmetic spider veins, we're doing the same thing we've been doing forever. There is nothing. It's got to be a better way. I, it, it is. I know one time I gave a talk to somebody, Peter Lynn, for one of the fellows courses that I was running. Sclerotherapy, is it harder than Evon? And in a way, it kind of is because the expectations of patients are huge. You're trying to get a needle into a tiny vein. You're trying to treat something the patient's staring at with, a, with, a, with the Evar and aneurysm. They may be asymptomatic, not know what's going on, and they have no expectations afterwards. They just want to wake up. So on both extremes, in my mind, 
this is where the, the vein world needs to go. We need to do much better on the tiny, tiny veins and much better on the on the. You, you also need a better treatment for edema. Yeah. Uh, I don't have it. I mean, it's a benign condition. I mean, my treatment for edema was to reassure the patient, you know, wear, wear trousers. Right. If it's a woman. Nothing bad is going to happen. Don't. Uh, you know, nothing bad is going to happen. You don't have uh, DVT. Uh, so I think that that a better treatment for edema, and again, these these air uh, compressive things, I don't know if they work or not, um, and I don't know if that's an answer. But but technology is, as we all know, just keeps getting better and better for for everything. And what may be a cumbersome air thing, a pressure thing, a couple of years down the line, may be relatively small, easy to use, and and really work. So it kind of it, it brings us full circle. You know, we just you, no matter what age you are, no matter where you are in your training, you need to look to new things, and you need to also encourage things that don't make sense because they may wind up making sense or didn't work. In other words, you know, the first airplanes all crashed, right? <laughs> but now look, and and uh, so when when I have a young fellow or trainee. They ask what to go into. I say, go into something that nobody else wants or doesn't seem attractive or hasn't worked. Everybody wants to do fenestrated and branched endographs. That's, you know, that's for a select few and the leaders are already out there defined. There are 20 guys in the, in the world that are really experts in fenestrated and branched grafts. You're not going to replace them. So go into something that hasn't worked and, you know. Try and make it work. Try, try and, make, and it. make it work. And, and critical limb ischemia to me is a huge area of opportunity. And I tell the surgeons, go somewhere and learn all the endo techniques from the cardiologists or angiologists like Ferrarisi or Schmidt or somebody and learn the vascular surgery part from somebody who's still doing them. Because today, nobody can do these distal bypasses that we did because they don't do enough of them. Yep. You have to do 100, 200 to get good at it. Oh, yeah. and, and my current trainees are still very good at it because they did 100 during their fellowship. But I, I see, I go places and, and critical limb ischemia is not well handed by, handled by vascular surgeons because they're all interested in doing 100 other things. So... Super specialization in vascular surgery, I think. It, and again, our article talks about having independent board recognition, which has been forever one of my themes forever and, and a failed theme. Um, I think if we had a specialty board, we could have subspecialization in venous disease. We could have subspecialization in critical limb ischemia. We could have subspecialization in, in open aneurysm repair, yep. Yep. which nobody's any good at anymore. Yep because they don't do enough. So those are areas that I think our society needs to address, whether they will or not, I don't know. All right, lastly, I give you the final word. Um, anything I, we did not discuss that you want to make sure everybody knows about that's going to listen or- No, I, I just think that vascular surgery is a great area of opportunity that were unrecognized as a specialty, were unappreciated, 
we're, and, and somebody else mentioned this, I think Belkin about our being the fireman in an institution when somebody else gets in trouble in right. the operating room, we're the people that are called to put out the fire um, and stop the bleeding. And as such, we have great value uh, in, in promoting care in serious vascular disease uh, and in, in making patients better. But as a, especially in the um, hierarchy of medicine, we're totally unrecognized. And, and that is disappointing. It's, it's sad, but that's the way it is. And again, I think having a extensive public education program that touts vascular surgery is something that is worth doing it's because it. so many people have vascular disease and, and the lesions are fair game for anybody who wants to address them. Yep. And if uh, they're good at it, they should be addressing them. Of course. But if they're not good at it, they shouldn't be doing it as a adjunct to another specialty. ENT. That's right. it's you know, crazy. Crazy. So that's good. So you just set up a whole new session for your meeting speaking about how we educate the public. <laughs> it's unpopular. Unpopular. It's Nobody unpopular because it, 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 it's going to be expensive. And, and uh, I mean, I, this, you may want to exclude this, but I was very persuaded by an ad on television, in addition to the MyPillow guy, where the University of Pittsburgh advertised repeatedly and over and over again, they showed this line of people waiting for a liver transplant. And they said, you're waiting for, I'm paraphrasing it now, you're waiting for a liver transplant and you're gonna end up dying. Don't do that. Come to the University of Pittsburgh and giving, get a living, living related donor. donor. And this was an ad repetitively on public television on, on one of the channels or yeah, many channels. Yeah. And if they, if University of Pittsburgh can afford to do that and obviously promote their program, vascular surgery should be able to do that to promote their specialty, which is, you know, countrywide. Yeah. And, and yet we haven't done that. And I've talked to some of the um, SVS leaders and they, they basically have said, no, what's more important is we educate referring physicians. I think today, everybody, I have a neighbor. When the neighbor wanted some of my advice, they were having some cardiac symptoms. Uh, and I said, you know, you should go and see a cardiologist. And I gave him the name of one of my cardiology friends. They went on the internet. They read about it. They asked somebody else. They didn't do what I advised. And, and we're good friends. So patients largely... They need to be educated yeah. because they're going to do it anyhow. And we why not get it right? Make sure the education is right. So that, I think that's a good thing to end on. The correct education, not just of doctors, but of patients. Uh, I want to thank you, Frank. It was a nice, uh, it's great. nice talk. Thanks a lot. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's Vein podcast in association with Radcliffe Vascular. We aim to bring you important topics from the vein world, either topics that we ourselves feel are important or you, our listeners, feel are important. So review us on your favorite podcast app. Send your thoughts, comments, and questions to podcast at Radcliffe with an E-group.com. That's podcast at Radcliffe-group.com. You could also register to access newsletters, videos, and 
peer-reviewed journal articles. Thank you. Glad you listened. This is Dr. Steve Elias, and we'll see you on the next Bain podcast. Thank you.